0: Welcome to Becoming Limitless. This is the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to optimize their brain and their body with biohacking. I'm going to teach you how to eliminate brain fog and upgrade your health so you can have more productivity, energy, and growth in your business. I'm your host, Tanessa Shears. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the Becoming Limitless podcast. How has your week been so far? This has been an absolutely wonderful week. We are coming off of like almost two weeks of the most beautiful April weather here in Vancouver and it is so unheard of to have so many weeks of sun in April and it was warm and I went out walking and like it was just such a beautiful time to enjoy time outside and it really helped offset some of the stuff going on in our life. So my husband and I, we are making three big life-changing decisions right now. So we're definitely having to really make sure we are honoring our biohacking and getting our sleep so that we can make sure that we are taking care of our bodies while we are making this really fun decisions, which I will talk more about when the decision is made. But today I have an interesting episode for you. It's a bit off the cuff from and a bit different from the episodes we usually do. And I'm really excited excited to share this with you. It is a bit of a story episode and there's some stuff I want to read you today because biohacking is about, you know, the art and the science of changing not only the environment inside of you but the environment outside of you so that you have more longevity, wellness, you feel good, you have energy, you just show up to your life in a vibrant new way. So, today I wanted to talk about something that I've had a conversation with most of my clients about at some point, but I find that we never really talk about it otherwise and It's specifically to do with how we can advocate for ourselves when it comes for our health when speaking with medical professionals. So I titled this episode today, Why I Annoy My Doctor, and you are going to find out why I actually annoy my doctor all the time. And I'm sure he's really tired of all of my persistent questions, but I'm going to be sharing some stories with you today, as well as how my being persistent with my own health When talking to medical professionals, actually was likely saved my life back in 2014. So, I'm going to tell you all about that um, on today's episode. So, it's kind of funny when I was thinking about preparing for this episode today, I was like, I actually think I've been annoying to authority figures for like as long as I can remember. And it's probably actually why I ended up being an entrepreneur. I always Question things. Tell me why. Tell me how. What do you mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? Explain it to me again. Like, isn't this a better way to do this? What do you think if we tried it this way? And that has made me a very successful entrepreneur. But going through university, it actually got me into a little bit of trouble. Like for the longest time, we used to go to this class uh, when I went to Simon Fraser University um, back like in two thousand. What was it? Two thousand ten or something like that. And I. Was incessantly curious. And I was taking a course at a time called uh, Molecular Biology and Biochemistry or something like that. And I had so many questions all the time that the teacher, in the middle of the lecture, she stops and she goes, Well, you have another question, question girl. And so she never actually learned my name, but she just called me question girl for the rest of the semester. And it turns out that I had her for another class the following semester. And she started realizing that, you know, I'm a good student. I loved school. I got really good grades. So she upgraded me from question girl to calling me smart girl in front of the entire class, which was mildly embarrassing to say the least, but Question girls, because I asked so many questions in class because I really wanted to make sure I understood it. And I think that's why I always loved school and excelled because I didn't just remember things, I understood them on a fundamental level. And I was taking an organic chemistry class probably a couple semesters after that. And I was asking again, I had a lot of questions, and the teacher just said, Okay. You've reached your question limit for today. You can come to my office hours if you want to continue asking questions. So I, like I said, I've not only been like that when it comes to school, but I've been like that when it comes to, you know, when I used to work as an employee and it's continued uh, with the conversations I have with my doctor's. Now, I do wanna be super clear in saying right off the top of this podcast that it isn't to discredit the medical profession or discredit doctors or, you know, the practice of Western medicine in general. They do wonderful work and they really do help us when we need it. And there are so many wonderful doctors who really care and do a great job. And I wanna make sure this is super clear. So what I'm saying today is not anything against the medical profession, it's that it is our responsibility to be our most clear and effective advocates. And the purpose, like I said, it's it's the power of taking an interest in what is truly best for your health and always questioning everything, even if it seems to make sense on the surface. Because if we never take that chance to question then we might always just be following along with something that really doesn't sit in integrity with us or isn't actually the best solution. So I really wanna talk about how being my advocate saved my life because I refused to take no for an answer. So back in 2014, I was put under general anesthetic for a surgery at the time and I woke up and everything was completely fine. But within about 24 hours, I started, my leg started feeling weird and I didn't quite know what was going on with it. And then, you know, from about just below my shin down on my right leg, I went numb and it hurt. And I'm talking like, like it felt like my muscle was cramping or spasming and it would not stop. And there's nothing I could do to seem to, you know, help the pain. So I went back to the surgeon after a couple of days. And I was like, hey, uh, I don't know what's going on. I've done some Googling. I'm pretty sure I have a blood clot. Like this is the exact symptoms. And he looked at it and he's like, yeah, well, you know what? It's not red and it's not swollen. And he measured it. And there's no change in diameter from the other leg and Everything seems fine. It's probably just because you've been sleeping in a different position uh, recently to recover and you've probably put strain on your back and it's likely a pinched nerve. Uh, Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Just take a couple more Advil. And he sent me home. But my brain was going, no, that's not how nerves work. If he's saying I pinched a nerve in my back, that's just not how it works. Nerve pinches don't usually cause blanket numbness. So here's an example. Like, look at your hand right now. So if you look at your pinky finger and your ring finger, those two fingers are served by a nerve called your ulnar nerve. So if you pinched your ulnar nerve, you would be feeling pain or loss of sensation in those two fingers. Now your thumb, your pinky and your ring finger, for example, those are all served by what's called your median nerve. So you would be able to tell if you pinched a nerve because one side or the other side of your hand was numb and the other side was not. That's how nerves work. But if you were to block the blood flow down to my hand, my whole hand would go numb. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I have a blood clot. Why is nobody listening to me? And like, I'm certain if it was a nerve, this wouldn't be happening. I had to have a blood clot. So I went home crying. And I remember that evening, my family actually went to the Peony, which is just like this large fair that happens in Vancouver every year. And I was walking around and I remember having to keep sitting down because I thought like I was going to rip my calf off. It felt like a Charlie horse that wouldn't quit and something wasn't right. And nobody would take me seriously. So I actually went into the hospital and I was like, I'm going to get an ultrasound. Something is wrong here. And they give you a test if they are ever concerned that you're having a blood clot and it's called a D-dimer test, and like I said, I was sitting in the emergency room, and they're like, "Well, you have no heat off of it. There's no redness. There's no swelling." Um, they kept insisting that I was fine, and kept giving me this like, mm, "You're fine." Smile, and I was being so persistent. I was like, "No, I want an ultrasound." And of course, that D-dimer test that does test for you know the presence of blood clots, it came back that I had a blood clot, but they're like, that's normal. You just had a surgery. That is going to be high. That what we totally expected, that you have no symptoms of a blood clot. And so they sent me down for the ultrasound because I was being so persistent. And I was watching the tech do the ultrasound on my leg. And if you've ever been to an ultrasound, they maybe take 10 or 15 minutes, but this ultrasound took 45 minutes. And she was fixated on one specific spot. And she kept going over it and over it. And over it and taking pictures and taking pictures and taking pictures and sent me back to the waiting room and i was sitting there the doctor calls me in and goes you actually have two blood clots and i was like i knew it and i felt so vindicated but at the same time so scary so this doctor was like you know I really don't think you should have been on birth control in the first place and was lecturing, which is completely unprofessional because, I mean, that's up to me as a woman if it's my choice that I wanted to be on at the the time. And the doctor sent me home with aspirin for two blood clots in my leg. And I called my family doctor from home that night, bawling my eyes out. I was like, I have two blood clots and I don't want to die because if your blood clots, if you have DVT, which is deep vein thrombosis when you get blood clots in your lower leg, They can throw off clots, they can move, they can end up in your lungs or your heart or your brain, you can stroke, you can have a heart attack, like this is a serious thing. And I called my family doctor and he prescribed me warfarin, which is a blood thinner, and I went on it right away and I ended up with migraines and having a severe reaction to it and ended up in the ER again where they re-ultrasounded my blood clots. And these two blood clots had traveled up my leg and were moving towards my heart, my brain, and my lungs. Like literally over the span of a week, they had moved. They were on the move, and this is terrifying at this point. And if I hadn't have insisted that I got that first ultrasound, if I hadn't insisted and called my family doctor and said, no, that something else needs to be done besides the aspirin. Who knows? Those blood clots, you know, they may have traveled further. So I ended up in the ultrasound or in the emergency room again, and they had to give me like injections of heparin, and they had to be on warfarin for three months and all of that. And it did dissolve the clots and everything ended up fine. But in the span of that last three months, two doctors gave me that, "Mm mm-hmm, I'm sure it's just fine, don't worry. And had I not been so persistent and advocated for my own health, I could be dead right now. So... I, I can't tell you how passionate I am about questioning everything. So often we are sent home from the doctors and I mean, I've, I've heard this from my clients and I've experienced this myself and we're told it's in our heads. Or we're sent home and just to suffer in silence, like, well, they can't figure it out, so maybe take an aspirin. Here's some antidepressants. I don't really know. And even worse, it's especially common with women. And when we talk about being chronically tired, like, we go in and say, I don't know what's wrong, my libido isn't feeling, that. you know, it's not there, I'm tired all the time, or we go in and we talk about menstrual issues, like, my period's been missing, or I'm having severe pain every month, or I'm experiencing endometriosis, like, there is no... I have found it is inadequate for the most part the way we are being treated. And like I did say at the beginning, this is not all medical professionals. There are many wonderful doctors, but I want you to be aware and know when it is time for you to advocate for yourself. So many clients I've had have been brushed off or told that their problem was that they needed to lose weight when that's where they were going for in the first place. Like back when I was a personal trainer and owned my own business, I whenever a new client started with me, if they had any joint issues or you know high blood pressure or um, if they ever had dizziness spells or on heart medications, all which are you know normal when we start to go and want to lose weight, these are usually the case. So I would send these clients with a form to the doctor and the doctor would refuse to sign the form so they couldn't legally work out with me. Like my insurance wouldn't cover me and it was just this like... How the heck are we supposed to be helping people when we're not giving them the tools they need to get started, right? Um, and like a lot of these clients that will go in because they are struggling to lose weight, the doctor's just like, well, it's hormonal. Um, there's not really much I can do for you here. And instead of like actually listening to them and seeing that that was something that was holding them back from losing weight. And we're way too often told that we're too concerned about our health and that the test that we ask for is not needed. You just want it, but there's no actually need for that, you know, that vitamin nutrient profile, that food sensitivity testing, that hormone panel, that blood sugar test. Like, I can't tell you how many of my clients uh, have experienced something that I'm like, we need to look further into this, but have their doctor deny that. The family doctor that I'm actually currently uh, seeing right now, he, oh, it drives me absolutely crazy because this is exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever I am really worried about something or I want more answers, he likes to like, you know, have a look at me and be like, you know what, Tanessa, I'm going to prescribe you something. I'm going to prescribe you good old fashioned reassurance. And one of the examples of a time that he did this is when I found out I was pregnant. I was five weeks pregnant. And if you've ever been pregnant before, like especially for the first time, it is a whole host of emotions. Not only are your emotions not as, you know, rational as they usually are, but you're scared. Like, I I was like, do I want to do anything wrong? Like, I want to make this baby healthy. What can I do? And I came in for a regular appointment and he's like, oh, we're going to do a pop on you today. And I'm like, wait a second. Is that safe to be doing that? Will that something happen to the baby? And instead of really walking me through why this was necessary or, you know, if it was necessary, he just was like, you know what? I'm going to give you some good old reassurance and everything's going to be fine. And I just bawled my eyes out because like I just was feeling so not heard and it felt so condescending. It's another one of those examples of like, you know, it's all in your head, everything's fine. And I was actually reading a book and there was a 2010 analysis done on chronic pain in women. And it found that healthcare professionals were more likely to dismiss women's complaints of pains as either being emotional or psychogenic or hysterical or oversensitive. And we're told all the time it's a hormones. And the only options we're ever given are to take a pill or have surgery. So here's my stance on this. If you go to a doctor with a genuine concern or something just doesn't feel right or you're wanting to follow up because you feel stuck and you need help finding an answer, if your doctor is not asking you about your sleep habits, about your stress levels, exactly what you are eating, what your daily movement is like, if they don't ask about those things but then instead prescribe a pill, this is a red flag this is where you need to go, hold on a sec, what's going on here? I mean, I've worked with clients that are actually medical professionals. They are doctors. And I've had a client that is a general practitioner. She told me that, you know what? We only spend a couple of months studying food in med school. Like it's not a really big focus. We spend maybe three or four months. And then she told me that in her experience, that is the class that Many of her colleagues chose to skip and catch up on the more important workload, like the virology and, you know, the other stuff like that. And so this would be the class that is most often skipped because they didn't perceive it was as important because they thought, I know about food. Like, what? Like, and a doctor actually told me this, that the knowledge of food that a physician has isn't Detailed enough to be able to use food to heal. And now I definitely, definitely want to say that there are certain conditions, certain illnesses, certain diseases that food cannot heal, and there is a place for medicine. But if it is as the first resort without looking at what is going on in our life that is contributing to this, we really need to look at this. I mean, I'll I'll tell you another story here. So while I was pregnant, I was in just one of my regular checkups, just, you know, seeing how things are, checking baby's heartbeat, that kind of stuff. And uh, the doctor's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, you know what? I'm really good. I had a little bit of nausea the other day. It's not very bad, but I mean, it's, it's not that bad. And I have a little bit of heartburn here and there, but like all these things are normal. I mean, I have a baby pressing on my stomach and my hormones are crazy. And at the time she grabs her prescription and wrote me a prescription for an anti-nausea drug and then wrote me another prescription for um an antacid and I was like I didn't I mean I just said I just had it a little bit the other day I don't need a prescription for that and then you know afterwards after I had given birth um I had a catheter obviously while I was in labor because I had an epidural And the catheter had actually damaged my urethra. And so afterwards, I was telling my doctor that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't pee, it hurts, what's going on? And he wrote me out a prescription for antibiotics, for a UTI, for urinary tract infection. I said, wait. I just had a catheter. Like, doesn't it make sense to like check to see if I actually have a urinary tract infection before you give me antibiotics? And he's like, sure, we can order the test, but I want you to start on the antibiotics anyways. And I took them and I refused to actually start the treatment of antibiotics until I got the test results back. And guess what? It came back negative. It was literally just trauma to my urethra that healed with time. And I would have been taking useless antibiotics that would have destroyed my gut bacteria I mean one single course of broad spectrum antibiotics can completely wipe out your gut and so much of the gut bacteria you have you we need we need it to digest food and produce specific vitamins balance our hormones keep our mental health in check along with like a whole host of other things and I mean this just doesn't stop at traditional doctors like I did have a client see a naturopath at one point and uh, she came home with a whole list of supplements and of course you know the first thing I asked is okay why this one? Why this one? What test result came back that, you know, said you needed this one? And my client at the time wasn't sure. And like an example was, you know, the naturopath had prescribed her vitamin D, which I mean, makes sense. Most people are vitamin D deficient, and she was taking it, but she was also experiencing a lot of anxiety. And one of the things I remember learning was that high levels of vitamin D can actually deplete magnesium. So there there is a class of vitamins called fat-soluble vitamins, and they are vitamins A, D, E, and K. And you can actually overdose on these and have toxicity effects because they are stored in fat. They're not like water-soluble vitamins like vitamin B or C that you pee out you can actually go over on these. So I was noticing my client experiencing more anxiety and I was like, you know what? It does deplete magnesium and magnesium is one of those you know, minerals that is really responsible for our, our mental state and helping keep us calm and everything like that. So I asked her to go back and talk to the naturopath and get her vitamin D levels tested and they were fine. So when she came off the vitamin D her anxiety started to go away. So this is my call to you. Like when you are given something, ask why, what are you basing it on? Is there a test for that? Before we put me on a vitamin, a supplement, a pill to fix this, like what is the root cause of my symptoms? And is this warranted by, you know, a result that you're seeing, or is it just something that most people are deficient in? And that, so that you just blanket gave me that supplement. So this is so important. I mean, if you're not given a specific tested reason why you need something, just question it. Don't, you don't have to say no, just question it. Especially, especially when the professional you are receiving these from may be receiving commissions for the supplements you buy them from so for example um, i know that some doctors have in-house supplements that they receive a commission on and i know this from actual naturopaths that have told me this and they'll receive commissions on the supplements they are selling from within their practice so i always tell my clients hey if you get prescribed something you know first like i said ask why is there a test for it how do we know second I always, if a doctor just says, well, you need to pick up some, I don't know, vitamin D is an example. Here are some brands that I love. Go pick those up wherever they sell them. That is something I would question a little bit less than like, oh, well, you know, you can grab some at the door on the way out because I always want to make sure that we're coming from a place of what is actually best for us. So, the other thing I wanted to go into and talk to you today was just specifically why, you know, advocating for our own health and really looking inside for the answers are, is something that is really important to me right now. Women's issues are very misunderstood and very poorly studied. So I'm reading, I've been reading a book over the last, um, about month and a half now, and I've almost done it. And it's a book, it's called In the Flow by Alyssa Vitti. I am actually going to read a quick section from it right now, and I did put a link to it in the show notes. It is a fantastic book all about female hormones, how they cycle, what to do with food, what to do with exercise, so that it serves your female hormones. So I'm going to read this because this section blew my mind. If you end up grabbing the book, this is actually a reading from page 27 to 29. So here it goes. More than half of all U.S. women are taking at least one prescription medication and about 26 million are taking five or more doctor-ordered meds. And that's not taking into account the billions and billions of over-the-counter pills, tablets, caplets, gels, and other remedies we're taking to try to heal the side effects of neglecting our cycle like acne and headaches and exhaustion and weight gain, insomnia, bloating, and more. Even the new trend towards biohacking, which is like using food and supplements and more to optimize our well-being, falls short because it doesn't take our cyclical nature into consideration. So just as a side note, this is me adding this in here. So the way our hormones cycle as women is more on a monthly scale. So our hormones change over a 28-day cycle, whereas a male hormone cycle is in a 24 hour period. So that's what the author is talking to when she refers to the fact that we have a as women a cyclical nature with our hormones that lasts 28 to 32 days and men have a 24 hour cycle. All right. I'm going to jump back in here. So she says, "Just look at the diet and fitness industry. Can you show me one trendy, well-known diet or workout that's based on women's hormonal cycle?" That's because most diet and exercise research has been conducted on men, not women. Check out these sad statistics. Women only account for 39% of participants in exercise studies. When the XX chromosome crowd does make the cut in sports and exercise research, we are often studied only during the first half of our cycle when hormone levels are low or only if we're taking hormonal birth control. In fact, women have been historically underrepresented in all health, drug, and biological research. Here's a quick timeline of some of the most foundational health research and the shocking absence of women. In the year 1958, a trial on the physical and cognitive changes and chronic diseases that come with natural aging called the Baltimore Longitudinal Study of Aging were launched. For its first 20 years, it included more than 1,000 men and exactly zero women. It wasn't until 1978 that women were added to the roster of participants. In the year 1973, The first study looking into the effects of estrogen and the prevention of heart disease included 8,341 men, and you guessed it, no women. In the year 1982, the landmark physician's health study reported the now widely held belief that taking low-dose aspirin can lower the risk for heart disease. The only problem? The study tracked 22,071 men and not a single woman. The year 1985, by this date, the Public Health Service Task Force on Women's Health Issues concluded that the historical lack of research focus on women's health concerns has compromised the quality of health information available to women as well as the health care they receive. Today, we're still trying to catch up. Why did women get left out of scientific research while men became the standard human representative in clinical trials? There are many reasons, but here are a couple of the biggies. Men are preferred research subjects. Men have only one biological clock, that simple rhythmic 24-hour hormonal circadian pattern, while women also have the more complex 28-day cycle. Researchers have argued that it's easier and less expensive to facilitate for experiments for the male pattern than for women's hormonal fluctuations. A major drug trial on women that went tragically wrong also influenced this. Another factor that played into our exclusion was a sense of needing to protect women's reproductive processes. Birth defects from the drug thalidomide in the 1960s resulted in the FDA adopting guidelines in 1977, essentially banning women of childbearing age from participating in clinical research. These guidelines effectively cut women who weren't postmenopausal out of the research game. It wasn't until 1993 when the National Institutes of Health Revitalization Act attempted to change things by requiring researchers to include women in human studies and to note any results that differed in women compared with men. We've made inroads since then, but progress has been painfully slow, stalling for long periods or sometimes reversing direction and consequently not nearly enough progress has been made, according to a 2015 review in BMC Women's Health. When you realize that our culture's foundational health research has largely excluded women, it's easy to grasp why our health issues are sometimes misunderstood and misdiagnosed. The fact that many of the diseases that affect women in greater numbers receive less funding for research compounds the problem. So that's the end of the passage that I wanted to read you at my mind was blown like I had no clue how little research was done on women and how important it is and why there's so little help when we complain of chronic fatigue or you know we're just feeling stressed out all the time or our libidos are low like it's just not getting the attention it needs this gives you a lot to think about and like I said this isn't not to go see a doctor this is your call to be your own health advocate ask why over and over get the test to show what they are prescribing is needed and not just a band-aid that never addresses the root cause. A really common example I see of this is melatonin. Doctors tell us to take it without sharing that there are foods that enhance melatonin, that different spectrums of light uh, enhance or ruin melatonin production. The temperature in your room affects it Why aren't we looking at these lifestyle factors before handing out different drugs and pills? Like melatonin production could be improved in so many people just from altering lifestyle, but it's so quick to go to a supplement or a pill. Be your own advocate. Ask questions even if it feels like you're bothering them or questioning them or you feel like you're being confrontational. If I hadn't have done that, I might not be here today. Those blood clots, two of them might have traveled to my brain and I might have had a stroke and died. This is important. Asking questions is okay. Their job is to answer them, your doctors, and you're paying them for it, whether it be directly out of your pocket or through your taxes. If you're in a place like uh, Canada where they are covered through our MSP platform, look at your lifestyle, figure out the root cause of what is going on without resorting as a pill as our first attempt to fix it. Like if you have a headache, think what's causing my headache instead of, you know, whipping out a bottle of Advil and chucking two down and, you know, feeling better a couple hours later. That's our first instinct. What happens to what if we looked inward? What if we said, hey, what have I been doing? Am I dehydrated? Is my sleep gone funny? You know, what what can I do? Did I eat something unusual? Asking those type of questions. Most of the time we are looking for a quick fix for our problems instead of really addressing why we're struggling in the first place. And this is the center of biohacking. How can we change our inner and outer environment of our body for more wellness, more longevity, more energy, and more health? Everything you eat, everything you drink, everything you take, everything you inject. Always be thinking, what is the greater good? How can I serve my body better? So that's what I have for you guys today. It's a little bit of my story and just you know, after working with clients for so many years and seeing people suffer because they're not getting the help that they need all of the time and think that they are stuck with that. Keep pushing, ask for a second opinion, go somewhere else, keep fighting because you never know when you are going to, you know, be the solution to your own problem. It is such a powerful thing. So if you loved this, I would love for you to tell me on Instagram, either post it in your story and tag me in it. Or if this episode resonated with you, I would be honored if you would share it with a friend or even better, if you could leave me a review on iTunes. This helps the show reach so many more people just like you and really helps me let me know that, you know, you're loving the podcast and you're digging the kind of stuff we talk about. And lastly, if you are working on your energy right now, which aren't we always working on our energy, I have a completely free guide that you need to get your hands on. It's called 12 Ways to Biohack Your Energy. It's my entrepreneur's playbook for maximizing your energy so that you can hit the ground, fully energized in the morning, get a ton of stuff done in your business and still have your energy to enjoy your life. It's my top 12 biohacks. You're gonna love them. You can download that at tanessashears.com playbook or click the link in the description. I hope you have an absolutely wonderful week and I will talk to you next time. Bye. Ready to begin each day feeling energized and focused? I'd love to work with you one-on-one. In my Becoming Limitless program, you're going to learn how to optimize your brain and body with science and biohacking so you can be highly productive and grow your business faster. Join me over at tanessashears.com with me. I'll see you there.